Well, Paul is writing this letter, Colossians 2. It's a tough one. It's right into the Colossians. So they're the recipients of this letter. And as he opens this letter, it starts as many of Paul's letters with a prayer. And this prayer that we have here is actually a twofold prayer. And we looked at the first portion of that the last time we were in the book. And this would have been in verses 3 through 8. And that first portion of the prayer focused on the fact that Paul was giving thanksgiving for them. He's thankful for them. And he received that report of what was going on in the church of Colossae from Epaphras. So Epaphras has come. He's sharing with Paul what is going on, the the good and the bad. We'll get to the bad later on in the letter. But at this point in time, he's thankful for him. He's thankful for the fact that they placed their faith and their trust in Jesus, that they have a relationship with him. He's thankful for the fact that he knows that they love one another, right? That's the mark of the body, or should be, that we have a love for all the brethren, not some of them or a select few, but that we love one another. And then he's also thankful for the fact that they carry with them the hope of heaven. What a wonderful thing. We have the hope of heaven. Heaven is what awaits you and I who have placed our faith and trust in them. This morning, what we're going to see as we continue the prayer, that Paul prays for them, but he shifts his attention from a prayer of thanksgiving to a prayer of intercession. He wants to intercede for them. And his desire is to see that they grow in the knowledge of the will of God for their life. That they would walk worthy of the Lord. That they would be fully pleasing to him. He also prays for them that their lives would be fruitful for the kingdom of the Lord. And that as they were strengthened in the power and the might of the Lord, that they would practice patience, that they would practice long suffering. But he didn't just leave it at that and say, just practice these things. He says, and when you do it, do it with joy. That joy would mark their patience. That joy would mark their suffering long. And then he reminds them, you guys have an inheritance. And as he goes on, he reminds them of the fact that they were rescued from their sin, that they had been redeemed by Jesus. And he wants them to remember also the high cost that it was paid for them to be redeemed. And so let's just go ahead, let's read our passage now, picking up in verse 9, and let's read through 14. And Paul says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Amen. So Paul receives a report from Epaphras, and his heart is, as we see many times with Paul, he's like, let's pray for him. Let's pray. And he notes here that as they prayed, they were praying without ceasing for them. It was a continual one. Every time that they came to mind, and this can happen with us sometimes, things come to mind, but we don't bring it before the Lord in prayer. We just think about it. But for Paul, when people came to mind, he immediately left them before the Lord. He wanted to leave them in his hands. And he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. And he goes, this is my petition for you. And first he asks, it says here, that they would be filled And the word filled here means ever-increasing or completeness. So here's what Paul is actually saying. He's saying that you would be filled to completeness with an ever-increasing knowledge of his will. It's a continual thing. It's not just a one, Lord, what is your will for me? And then walking that out, it's a daily thing that we're constantly seeking the Lord in exactly what he wants to do with us. And so he says that they would be filled with that. And he tells them how they're going to be filled with this. He says it's through wisdom and understanding. And for me, when I looked at those words, I was like, wisdom and understanding, what's the difference? Because it seems so similar. But there is a big difference. What is the difference between the two? Understanding is the comprehension of something. That's what understanding is. Wisdom is taking what you've comprehended and putting it into action. So it requires both. So what we can understand why Paul says this, first you need to comprehend it, but then you need to be able to put it into action. And so as we study the word, as we grow in our knowledge of what that says, his and all his desires for our life, we have to put them into practice. You have to put it into practice. It's essential. It will never be enough to have the knowledge of what to do if you never do it. It doesn't serve anything. If you study the Bible and you understand it from cover to cover, but you have no desire to put it into practice, what good was it? To win a debate? To show people how much you know? But then your life is completely contrary to it? When we understand what it says to us, and they're wonderful things that are given to us, we have a responsibility to then put that into practice. And listen, we can apply the idea of understanding and wisdom to so many areas of our life. We're just going to take one example. Take the example of driving. Okay? I can understand a lot of things, right? I can understand there are a lot of different signs that mean a lot of different things. There are lines on the road Some solid, some dotted, mean very different things. We have lights. Some are solid, some are flashing. They're all very different. I can know all of these things, but if I decide not to put it into practice, what's going to happen? Now, if all of us know exactly 
what we're supposed to do, and none of us put that into practice, who's driving? Who's going out on the road today? I'm first one out in the building. I'm going by myself. And we can see how that works. It's not enough to know. And so think about that here. How important is that application for us to hear? Because we're talking about the word of God, knowing what God has for us. That's far above anything I do on the road. I have to apply that to my life. And as I grow in knowing what he wants to do more and more with my life, I need to put it into practice. That's why James calls us to do what? To not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. That we wouldn't just take from that sitting position and listening, but that we would now put it into action. That we would do the things that we know. We've got to be doers of the word. And Paul goes on here in verse 10 and he says, walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him. Walk worthy. Walk speaks here, not in the sense of what I keep doing, pacing back and forth here on stage. That's not what walk means here. Walk here is speaking of our conduct. Walk here is speaking of what we say and what we do, how we conduct our lives, our words and actions. Worthy is an interesting word. It's the word axios in Greek, which means having the same weight of another thing. And this can be just fleshed out in a real example of just old school scales. Remember the old school scales? Put a weight on one side and another one, and you're always trying to get them to do what? Be balanced. And so that's the image that we have, that the weight scales should be balanced perfectly, which means that in the context it's saying that a believer's manner of life and conduct weighs as much as the character of their Lord and Savior, Jesus. That's what it's telling us. Walk worthy that your life and the life of Jesus, they look the same. Walk worthy of the Lord. And it's such a vivid picture for us. He's our example. Jesus is your example of exactly how we should live, and we should follow it closely. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.21. 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And we can translate steps to another word and we can translate steps to footprints. That you follow in his footprints. You ever see a kid on the beach trying to walk in his father's footprints? Right, dad's out in front and he's walking. And it's tough, right? Especially if the kid's really little. Because dad's stride, a lot bigger. The distance between dad's legs, who knows? And, but you watch him. What is it? it? A kid takes the painstaking effort to try to only walk in the prints of his father. 
You ever see the expression on the father's face when he realizes what's going on behind him? What does it do? It pleases him. It pleases the father to see what his kid is trying to do, that he's trying to walk in the exact manner that he is walking in. It fully pleases him. And this is what you and I are called to do. It doesn't matter how far the stride may seem. It doesn't even matter how far it may feel. It doesn't matter the distance. And here's another thing. It doesn't matter where those prints are leading. We walk in them. We give it everything we've got. We put everything we have that's in us into walking in the footprints of Jesus. And here's the thing. If we're following in footprints, it means he's already gone before you. He's the one who's made the prints. We're only walking where he's already going. You walk in his steps. And here's the thing. Jesus is never going to ask you or I to walk anywhere he was not willing to walk himself. He never will. Because he walked everywhere. Jesus, you don't understand how much I'm struggling and suffering in this. Suffering? Jesus understands suffering beyond anything that you or I could think suffering is. He knows. Nobody's loved greater than he is loved. Nobody's hurt more than he has hurt. Nobody's wept the way Jesus has wept. No one. He knows. And so when he's leading, when you're following in his footsteps, he leads you where he's already been. And the other thing is, you get to go with him. There's a lot of prints you can walk in. Don't do it. Walk in your Savior's footsteps. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, am I truly conducting my life in the likeness of my Lord and Savior? Or are there some changes that I need to make to be able to do that? There are things at times that we need to let go of, but it's okay. There are good things to let go of because it's lightening the load so we can follow him all the closer. And it's like, can you imagine having a backpack of like 500 pounds of weights and you're trying to keep up and walk in his steps? Good luck. Let me know how it works out for you. But if you lighten that up, you can follow him so closely. You can walk in his steps. And we should desire to walk worthy because, as it says here, we know that it fully pleases him. Our walking in his likeness, it pleases him. And that should be our goal. Why? Because that was Jesus' goal. John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. That was Jesus' goal. I just want to please the Heavenly Father. Everything he did brought pleasure to the Father, and it pleased the Father to bruise him. Think about that, because it was for us. He was willing to do that. 
He was willing to submit and go through that because he knew the end result. You and I would have the opportunity to be rescued and redeemed. It was through that, through his suffering. And this should be our heart, that we desire to please the Lord in every area of our life. Every area of our life. And this is the thing, and I, I know this. We're, we're prone to divide our lives into different areas. And a lot of times we do it by time. This is my church time. That's an easy one right now, right? It's my church time. Then I have my job, so that's my time to work. And then I have my free time, because that's mine also. And then, so we have all these times. I go to school, so that's the time that I'm at school. And listen, I'm not saying dividing up areas of your life is wrong. It's okay. And managing your life, it's not a bad thing as long as those areas still belong to him. And that the desire of your heart is to please him in those different areas. That's fine. As long as he has control of those things. Does the Lord have that control? Does he have every area of your life or do you still hold back parts for yourself? Are you willing to give him that control? And listen, it's just as simple as just being, Lord, I'm heading to work. And I so desire to please you through it. Lord, I'm going to school. You know, I don't want to go to this class, but I'm going anyway. And I want to please you through it. Lord, this is just some free time that I have. But Lord, I also want this to be yours. Because if there's something you want to do while I have this free time, use me in it. Because I want to please you even in this time that you've given me. It's a simple attitude of your heart. It's the attitude of your heart that says, no matter what I'm doing, I just want to please you. It's not important what's going on, but is my life pleasing you? And the reality is, the life that wants to walk in the footprints of the Lord, the one that wants to please him in every area of their life, that's a life that abides. You know, I find so many things just as we look at our life in Christ, and it doesn't matter where we go, we can trace it back to just simply John 15 of being good abiders. It all has to do with abiding with him. If I abide with him, I'm going to have knowledge of his will for my life. If I abide with him, I'm going to walk in a manner that's worthy of him. If I'm abiding with him, my life is going to please him. It's about abiding. And the life that abides in him, as verse 10 continues, will be, what does it say? Fruitful. And isn't that John 15? He who abides in me will bear much fruit. It all comes back to that. Are you abiding in the Lord? We need to remember, God has prepared wonderful works for each of our lives. Before the very foundation of the world, before the first word was spoken, in creation, God knew and prepared 
wonderful works for your life. That is amazing. To take a moment and just ponder, God creator of the universe, individually for you, preparing a wonderful work is amazing. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to, and here we get a word again, walk in them. It's not enough to know what God wants to do. There's an expectation that you're going to walk in what he has you to do. And it's a good work. Our lives should be continually bearing fruit. And as we radiate the qualities of Jesus, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his love, guess what's going to happen? Fruit will come. Fruit's going to come. Your life will be fruitful. Fruit is the proof of an abiding life. It's that simple. Is my life producing fruit or is it not? Is there visible fruit that I can see of the Lord working in and through me? Fruit is the proof of an abiding life. And secondly, he says that we will increase in the knowledge of God. In the beginning, he says that we would increase in the knowledge of his will. And here, he's not being redundant in saying that we would increase in knowledge. He's saying that we would increase in the knowledge of God. And the idea is that we would increase in knowing his character and his nature. That we would increase in knowing his character and nature. That's amazing. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know him. And he wants us to continually know him better and better and better. He wants us to know his plans. He wants us to know his purposes. He wants us to know his commands. He wants us to know all these things. He's not trying to hide anything from us. Listen, there have been people in your life, or maybe you've been that person, that you try to hide what you're doing. You don't want people to know. And God, creator of the universe, doesn't want to do that. He wants you to know him and know him better. It pleases his heart to watch his children diligently seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's a wholehearted search for the Lord. And then in James 4, 8, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Isn't that amazing? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Which also tells us one thing. In the drawing, that the relationship that you have with the Lord is the one you want. So you can never complain about where your relationship with the Lord is. Because are you drawing near to him? Because the closer you desire to step to him, what is he doing? He's stepping right back. And he will continue to close that gap your whole life if you so desire. So whatever relationship you desire to have with him, you can have it. 
You can have it. There's no limit. And he will continue just to reveal more and more and more of himself to you. And as we grow in knowing him more and more, how can we not desire to know more and more of him? He wants to be truly known by us. And so if we sum everything up so far, just to where we are, if we walk in his footprints, if we desire to please him with every area of our life, and then from there we walk in the good works that he has prepared for us so that we're fruitful for the kingdom, that's us being abiders, we are going to know him and then continue to grow in knowing him better. And here's the thing, guys. The world draws their conclusion about God, don't they? The world has an idea of what they think God is, but they don't know him like we do. They don't know him like we do. Have you ever had somebody draw a conclusion about you when they don't even know you? We love it. We love to hear that somebody has come up with an idea of who they think we are and they don't even know who we are. We've never even had a conversation. They just based it on what they see and what they think. We love it. No, when we hear that, we're like, how? How can they say that about me? They don't even know who I am. They don't know anything about me. If they would what? If they would just take the time to get to know me, they would see who I really am. They would know my true character. They would know really where I stand. It hurts. And God desires that his creation, his creation would truly know him. He desires that they would know him. And he has chosen you and I who have a relationship with Jesus as his representatives. He uses us to show the world who he is. If we want to represent him right, we've got to abide. And it's so important that our words and actions look like him. It's so important. Now, if you're sitting there and you're going, hey, Jamie, I read in the Bible that Jesus made a whip. I like that. (laughs) Read the context and see why. It's different. Because then I would challenge you to take the entirety of the Gospels and read through and look at Jesus' life. Look at Jesus' life as he interacted with the paralytic and his four friends who ripped apart a roof to lower him in, and he sees their faith. Look at Jesus as he interacted with the woman who was caught in adultery. He didn't condemn her. He told her to go and sin no more, but he didn't condemn her. He loved her. He overwhelmed her with his love and his kindness towards her. The woman who came in and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. His kindness is... As the Pharisee said, what is this man or what what is she doing in my house? And Jesus notes whom she is because he sees the heart and his kindness and his mercy and his grace and his love. The father with the demon-possessed son. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help 
us. Oh, I will. Kindness and mercy and grace and love. And sometimes we can be so quick to throw the same stones that could have been thrown at us. And if we do that, we'll never win their hearts. That's why the Pharisees had to set the stones down. Because they, they had to inspect their own life in that moment and realize, I can't throw a stone. We can't. And Jesus wanted to overwhelm people with, their lo- with his love. And listen, I'm not negating the fact that Jesus is a righteous judge. He will judge the sinner one day. It's just today's not that day. We're in a time of grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's where we are. And it's so important that we represent him correctly in that. I mean, just remember back to when Jesus won your heart. That moment when you surrendered to him, it was his love. It was his love for you, his willingness to take your place, to pay the price you couldn't. It was his love that was so attractive. It's how he wins a heart. The Holy Spirit works well to make changes. You let the Holy Spirit grab a hold of a life the Holy Spirit will make wonderful changes to the life. Well, let's keep going. Verses 11 and 12, moving right along. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So as we walk worthy, as we walk in the likeness of our Lord, we by his spirit will be strengthened. And the strengthened is a continual continual thing. We will be strengthened with all might. And this strengthening will allow us to walk in all patience, patience being endurance and long-suffering. And what is the key to that is joy, that you will walk patiently and with long-suffering and with joy. And I want us to understand the difference between patience and long-suffering. The idea of patience is having to endure trials and difficulties and hardships. And so as the trial grows or there seems to be something that's a hindrance, they don't lose heart. And they do this in the power of his might. And then on the other side, we have long-suffering, and long-suffering is patience exhibited under ill-treatment by people. So now with these two, we've covered everything, whether it's come from a person or simply outside circumstances of life. We take it patiently. And this is all done, as he said, through the power and might of God, not in our own strength. And it's true. I mean... I can look at my own life and if the spirit of the Lord is not actively working in my life, patience and long-suffering is not my first response. It's a spiritual outworking of the Lord in a life that will allow you to do that and not just do it, here's the key, but you're able to do it with joy. It's with joy. And Paul didn't just write this as something for you and I to do. 
He lived it. In Acts 16, Paul had a desire to go to, Macedon, uh, to, go to Asia. And the Spirit kept forbidding him from going to Asia. And so then he was met by a man from Macedonia. He's like, well, I guess this is the way we're going. So he grabs Silas, and they head on their way, and they come to Philippi. And when he gets to Philippi, he meets a small group of believers. There's Lydia down there. They're hanging out by the river. He's like, this is sweet. And he begins sharing with them. And then there's this girl with two guys that are making money because she's demon-possessed, and she's declaring things. These are the great guys of the Lord. He's like, wow, this is a horrible representation of the Lord. Let's free her. So he frees her from the demon. That didn't go over well. And it ended with Paul and Silas both getting beaten with rods and tossed into the innermost part of the prison. So as you track that in chapter 16, you then come to verse 25 of the story, and it says that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, and everyone listened. I've been in the jail ministry. You don't hear a lot of singing of hymns. Joy marked his life in the struggle. So much so that even when the prison doors were flung open, he's like, not nah, leaving yet. Still got two more verses to sing. No, 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 no. But they didn't leave. The Philippian jailer was about to take his own life. He's like, no, I'm here. Silas is here. Actually, we're all here. Nobody went anywhere. And that led to the salvation of the Philippian jailer. Joy. You can endure things patiently. You can suffer long, and you can do it with joy when God has a hold of your heart, when the Spirit is moving freely in your life. I mean, his letter to the Philippians, he wrote from a Roman prison, and what is the major thread through the book of Philippians? Joy. And he's in prison. If ever there's a letter you get to write and complain about your circumstances, that's a good one. But he doesn't take the time to do that. He encourages people to be joyful. And if I was the Philippians, side note, every time I see Paul, he's in prison. So that would have me thinking differently too, right? Hey, when he was in Philippi, went to prison. Now he's writing to us from Rome, and he's in prison. But joy. God gives us the strength to meet every trial, whether by a person or circumstance, patiently and with joy. I mean, look, that's exactly what James said. James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds. They're going to come in all different manners of life. But when you face them, face it joyously. And if your life is marked by joy, no matter what, joy is the settled state of contentment. That's what joy is. It's a life that is completely content in the Lord. And then it doesn't matter your circumstance. You have the joy of the Lord in your life. Find your contentment as Christ because he is more than enough. And he goes on in verse 12 to say to give thanks because through Christ and our relationship with him, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. And 1 Peter 1.4 says, we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for us. No one can touch it. 
I don't care what kind of earthly inheritance you think you have. It can disappear in a moment. The inheritance that you have in the Lord is it's uncorruptible. It's undefiled. It's reserved for you in heaven. That's what awaits you. And so is there really any other way that we could properly respond than giving thanks? There's not, I mean, give thanks. You have an inheritance reserved for you in heaven. What else are you going to do? Now, thanksgiving marks our lives. We have Christ. We have the hope of heaven. We have eternity with him. Is there anything better? Is there anything better? I mean, we could wake up every morning and say, thank you, Father, for Jesus and the hope that I have of heaven and eternity with you. You, you can do that every day, all the way up until the day you don't wake up, which is still a good day, right? Because you don't have to say it anymore. You just, oh, I'm here. And then it's your reality forever. Thanksgiving. Well, let's wrap it up here. Paul closes reminding us of the cost and the work of redemption in our lives, verses 13 and 14. And he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. We have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. That's amazing. We've been God, through his son, removed us from the power and control of Satan, and he put us into the kingdom of the son of his love. There's, and actually, he took hold of our lives, took us out of darkness, and he moved us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The son of his love. The son of his love, Jesus, is the beloved son of the father. He told us that twice. He told us that twice in scripture. This is my beloved son. He said it at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well seated. And he said it at his transfiguration. It's my beloved son. And this is a great reminder for us to remember the high price he paid to rescue us. There was a cost involved. And the cost was the fact he was willing to give his son, the son whom he loves, to rescue us. That's a high price. If you have children, you understand that would be a high price. And imagine you're giving your son, the son whom you love, to rescue and redeem a world that rejects him knowing that not everybody's going to look at that gift and be like, wow, this is amazing. They'll still reject him, scorn him, curse him. And in spite of that, you sent him, the one you love, to die in their place. That's the son of his love. It also shows us clearly also that the kingdom is a kingdom of love. When we arrive, we're going to be in the kingdom of love. Unconditional love. And our admittance into the kingdom is solely by the precious blood of Jesus. There's no other entrance. 
It's only by his blood. And he forgave all our sins. Jesus' blood has redeemed us. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You know, I thought about this after Wednesday service and we just read through the entire gospel of Mark and just listening, right? So you, you grab the scope of Jesus' life. And you know, I, I sat there this week and I realized I love being loved by him. He loves us. He truly loves us. And I love being loved by him. Do you love being loved by him? It's wonderful. There's nothing to compare it to. That's what he does. So how can we, in light of his great sacrifice for you and I, how can we not walk worthy of him be fully pleasing to him and be fruitful in every good work that he has prepared for us. It's such a privilege we have to do that. That's the life he has called us to live. Amen? And Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for Jesus, for his love, for his grace and his mercy that he's poured out upon us. Lord, the gift of salvation, that we've been given. And Father, if there are things that need to be worked out in our lives, Lord, may we surrender them to you today. Lord, that we would walk worthy. Lord, that we would walk in a manner that's pleasing to you. Lord, that our lives would be fruitful. And Lord, we know that's a work that you and only you can do. And so, Father, may we just surrender our lives to you again today. And, Lord, may that just truly be the heartbeat of our life is just, I want to please my Savior. I want to look like him. I want to walk in his footprints. And we ask this in your name. Amen.